BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get 150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms, 21 plus only. Virginia only, new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Anne Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Only in theaters this Friday. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes Film.com to get tickets now. What's going on, guys? Billy Pinkton here alongside New York Mets pitcher Jake Reed. Jake, how's it going? Good. How about you? Good, good. Appreciate you hopping on. Absolutely. Yeah, now what a career you've had. Uh, somebody who's been around for a while and really grinded throughout the minor leagues to get to where you are today here with the Mets. But uh, with the Twins, you, you really paid your dues. Can you tell me about the Twins organization and how they developed you and groomed you to become the pitcher you are today? Yeah, I had um, a lot of really good years uh, in Minnesota. Um, two different front offices, uh, was drafted by one, and then about halfway through, a new front office came in. and So saw a lot of changes, a lot of new coaches, um, but um, a lot of people that I really, really loved and, um, you know, teammates and coaches that, you know, helped me a lot in my career. Um, it was um, a crazy career. You know, it got going really, really quickly. I was in like double A my first full season um, and then struggled there for a couple of years. Um, and, you know, they kind of let me work some stuff out early on in my career in double A, which was nice. Um, and then got to triple A um, in like 16, I think, for the first time, 2016. Um, and then 16, 17, 18, um, had really good years in triple A with the Twins. Um, like really good years, uh, didn't get an opportunity. Um, and then in 19 with Minnesota, um, sort of kind of got to the bottom of that, um, as far as why I wasn't, you know, um, getting an opportunity to get to the big leagues. And, um, I had a really honest and, and great conversation with, with one of my coaches there, Mike McCarthy, um, 
just pretty the game has changed a lot as you know you know um just the things that are valued and, and the ways in which we you know minor league players are um sort of evaluated you know and what's what they look at you know and, and especially pitchers um and so i was a guy that always threw really hard um but as analytics kind of found their way into the game more um, I wasn't doing anything spectacular on track band or rap soto. Um, my breaking ball was really average. So other than velocity, um, that that's really all I had. Um, and so finally had a like an honest conversation in 19 with one of my coaches there. Um, and just pretty much told me like something, I had to do something, change something to, you know, to get an opportunity with the twins. And, um, after, you know, a, a long kind of, um, difficult conversation, I think, because I was pitching well, you know, I, it's hard, like when you're pitching well to be told that you need to make a change. But I think after that, that was kind of the time when we decided to, to drop down sidearm. Um, so did that and about halfway through 2019. Um, and just, you know, for whatever reason, they liked that a lot better than the velocity, the movement improved on all my pitches, my slider got a lot better. Um, and so, yeah, I think that that it was definitely some growing pains with the Twins um, that year and then didn't get to play in 2020 because of COVID. And then last year being my first full year doing it, it was um, definitely a, a transition. But all that being said, I had I had a really good experience with, with Minnesota Twins. Um, a lot of, like, really good friendships of guys that I still keep in touch with, still playing fantasy football with the group of Twins guys. Um you know, in guys' weddings and and that sort of thing. And then just a lot of great coaches that I got to play for as well. The front office was great. When I made my debut with the, the with the Dodgers, I got I had texts from, you know, Rocco and Thad Levine and guys in their front office and stuff just congratulating me. So it was a group it was a group of really great guys, you know, from top to bottom. Um just, you know, unfortunately I didn't get an opportunity with them, which is what you're you always want, you know, by the team you get drafted by. But awesome experience with them that's great no a great story i mean uh, i was going to mention too about your delivery and how that's evolved uh, would you say that was in the off season that change or was that something that you discussed during the season yeah it was during the season it was uh we were probably two months into the season um in 2019 i think it was june right around june 1st um and had that conversation at bp with my coach and and, you know, just decided to try it, you know, which was a cool part of it was was kind of scary, you know, trying something new in the middle of the season. But there was also sort of like a, a I don't know, like a liberty to it where I knew that I was going to have some slack and knew that I was going to be able to, um, you know, because it was in the middle of the season, I was going to get, um, you know, to work on some things and have the freedom to, to kind of, I guess, fail a little bit. Um, and so, yeah, it was right, literally like split the season in half. Wow. Wow. That's surprising that they, they want to do it mid season. That's interesting. Yeah. Did, what were the first few outings like? How, how did they go? They were really good. I think my first month of doing it was a, it wasn't as much of a transition as I thought. I was always like a low three quarter guy. Um, so it wasn't like I was going from like, way over the top to like scraping my knuckles you know it was like i was always kind of low three quarter and it was more of like a posture thing in the beginning like i just kind of was like standing up taller it felt like a big difference you know but it wasn't um so i think that helped and then also like i said it was just like 
I was very relaxed and it was, it was like comforting to know that like, all right, this is new. We're in the middle of the season right now. So like, I'm going to have some freedom to kind of mess around with some grips, some stuff and fail a little bit. And I think being in that mindset, I think kind of just relaxed me. And I felt like I was just playing, you know, like playing baseball, you know, like I was just, it was like backyard playing wiffle ball, just kind of slinging it in there. And so the first month was really good. Uh, but then when I started, you know, doing it more consistently, like you start to think about it a little more. And I ran into some command issues definitely early on in the, in the you know, first year of doing it for sure. Well, speaking of pitch grips, we'd be able to show us the pitch grips that you have and maybe if any change beforehand and then as you evolve with your new delivery. Yeah, so I was um, being a velocity guy was like a forcing guy, um, you know, coming up and um, through mostly four seams. We'll throw a two seam every now and then, but primarily four seam. Um, and then my slider um, before I, I didn't spike it, I was two fingers on. Um, that was when I was over the top. And then as soon as I dropped down, the reason drop, the biggest reason dropping down was to create more movement um, with my, with my fastball. Um, so going from a forcing guy to, to, to all sinkers. So we, I, when I first dropped down, I was trying a bunch of different things. I was, um, I started with like a one seam. So like, I was like, if that's the two seam, I would kind of turn it in my hand a little bit and then move it forward, almost like a breaking ball. Um, and then just try to like, kind of like get on top of that and throw that. And I threw it all right. Like I said, I kind of ran into some, com some command issues early on. So then I went up a little higher on the one seam and just kind of split that seam right there. Um, and then <clears throat> from there, I ended up just going to a two seam, um, just standard two seam. And what I found, what we found just tra with TrackMan and stuff and, is that I wasn't getting any more sync with the one seam um or movement or anything that i wasn't getting with the two seam and if i could control the two seam um you know better than the one seam then i may as well just throw that so i'm all two seams now um and then i will throw a four seam every now and then um you know there's still a little velocity left in the tank so i'll you know if i'm trying to get it by somebody or something i could still throw a four seam um and then my slider um if you're looking at the horseshoe um, and this has come, a lot of it has come from seeing other people do this, you know? Um, so I just come across here, um, my finger across that seam there, and then I'm, I'm spiking it now too. And so I'm pretty much throwing, a, a, I feel like I'm throwing a, a curve ball from this slot, you know? So I'm kind of pulling across as, a, as opposed to pulling down. Um, but yeah, that's my slider. Um, that's the money maker right there. And uh, the changeup is uh, I'm here. I kind of kind of like a circle, like a modified circle uh, over those seams right there. Middle finger on that um, on that seam right there, and that's that's pretty much how I, I hold my change. Every now and then I'll mess around with my pinky, like having my pinky coming further up towards my my ring finger. Um, but for the most part, that's kind of where I'm at with all those pitches. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Now, when it comes to analytics, what is it that really stands out with those pitches? Is it the uh, the rotation and the uh, horizontal movement and, and all that? Yeah, I would say with my sinker, it's probably the vertical movement. Uh, 
you know, so there's all these numbers. I don't know how they, they, you know, set these, these benchmarks, I guess, but there's all these, these numbers that I would say, like, if you're at this number or below, um, you know, so if we're talking vertical movement for a sinker guy, like the lower, the better. Um, so if you're at, you know, X and if you're below that, it's like a good or elite sinker, you know? So I would say like that is, is, you know, we're trying to get that as low as possible. Um, and then not as concerned with the horizontal movement. Um, I, I do get some, but it's not, you know, I would say I get more sync than, than horizontal run. Um, and then with the slider, it's, we're, we're worried about more the, the um, horizontal break. Um, so trying to get that number, essentially we're trying to separate those pitches as much as possible, you know, so if the sinker is breaking arm side, you know, and then we're trying to get the, the slider to look like a fastball for as long as possible, but then separate from that pitch as much as possible. So those were all numbers that were like super, you know, foreign to me, but I mean, I think like everybody else, right? Like five, six years ago. Um, but I would say most of us have, I think, have a pretty good grip on it now. Whether guys, you know, use it much, um, I think we all have a pretty good idea of like what we're what we're trying to do. You know, like what what is good, and um, I get like what we're what we're shooting for. You know, in bullpens and in the game, and and so it's helping that way. You know, I think. It's, it's really the reason why I'm still playing. I think, you know, like, like I said, it, it was, you know, the movement for me when I was over the top is, I guess, what was holding me back. You know, the velocity was there, but, like, there were some other things that I just – they weren't impressing, you know, teams. And so, um, you know, when we started looking more into these numbers, um, you know, I guess it, it's kind of a blessing and a curse because, like, it is on one hand sort of what was keeping me out of the big leagues with the Twins – um, but on the other hand, it's like the reason why I'm, I'm still pitching and have some value in this game. So, Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City Featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, 
bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get 150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms, 21 plus only. Virginia only, new customer offer, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Anne Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Only in theaters this Friday. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes film.com to get tickets now. Pretty crazy. Yeah, for sure. Now, speaking of this technology, have you ever felt that it was ever overwhelming for you? I mean, I, I know the Mets in particular, there was a report that the Mets hitters were a bit overwhelmed with a lot of the data. Uh, have, have the pitching coaches and, and all that done a nice job at translating that to you guys and really filtering out what you should be focusing on? Yeah, it's gotten to a point now where I feel like it, the mesh is, is um, it, like in a healthy place. Um, like, I think early on there was a lot of pushback because, you know, it was sort of running people out of the game who had been there for a long time and maybe didn't understand it as well as other people did. And so it was kind of like one of those things is like, if you don't get on board, then you, you just like, you have to get off, you know, or you get pushed out. So I think there was some pushback right away. Um, but now I think we've gotten to this point now where we're, every coach, especially that I played for last year, and even in Minnesota, like we've gotten to the point where it's like everybody can really, really explain stuff that we may not understand, you know, so it's stuff that they get and stuff that's important to them. Um, but they're, they're finding a way to communicate it to their guys. that's going to help them implement it into their game right away. You know, so I think that, um, you know, is important and, and all of the, all of the teams that are competing, you know, in, in November and, you know, winning championships are teams that have, have, you know, utilized this information, you know, nobody's, nobody's not using it anymore, you know, but I think the best teams are the teams that are, are using it in a way that is really maximizing everybody's talent and abilities, both you know, in the player development um, category, and then also coaching, finding guys who, finding guys who are, who are able to, to kind of, um, I guess, relate to, to both sides of the game. So I think it's gotten to a point now where it's like, like I said, I think it's really maximizing people's ability as pitchers and hitters. And it seems like a lot of teams have also hired coaches who have experience in the game, who also are able to understand the analytics and not just hiring people in the front office who then push it down and, and tell you to figure it out or, or use it. There's a, a much better form of communication because it's relatable too. I mean, if you're uh, learning from somebody who played in the big leagues, a pitching coach like Jeremy Hefner, for example, uh, he's somebody who you could relate to and, and somebody who could give you that information as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and we're so lucky, like with in New York with half, like just a really, really great man, you know, and then somebody who pitched in the big leagues, which is important to a lot of people who are 
pitching in the big leagues. Um, but he's also a genius. You know, he also knows this stuff like the back of his hand and he's able to communicate it to his guys in a way that we, like I said, we can, I can be throwing a bullpen and I can be looking at a track man screen. And if you tell me a bunch of numbers and a bunch of things without helping me understand it, it's not going to do anything for me. But when you have guys like Hef, um, you know, that are really able to break it down in a way that, that somebody like me can understand. It's, it's really helpful. So we're, I'm super lucky to have him. Yeah. I'd love to go through your 2021 season. It was quite the year for you with the several different teams started off with the angels, right? And then you got released by them uh, somewhat early in the year and then went over to the Dodgers where you then made your big league debut. Can you take us through that time period of being with the Angels and then receiving that news and how you were able to turn things around and figure things out in AAA before you got the big league call? Yeah, so last year was my first year of uh, minor league free agency. And um, I honestly, like... I didn't, I wasn't at the alt site or anything in 2020 with the twins. I was my last year with them. So I, I had honestly kind of thought I was done. I just didn't, I figured if I wasn't, you know, good enough to be at the alt site with the twins, like it was, you know, I, I didn't think I was going to get a job. And so started kind of like, you know, starting that process of like, what's next, you know? Um, but pretty early on in free agency, the angels call and some other teams called, um, and, you know, I was super surprised, but super happy, obviously for, for teams being interested. So, um, just thought it would be a good opportunity with the angels and they're close to home. My wife's from Anaheim. She grew up an angel fan. So, um, yeah, signed with them, um, went to camp, uh, in, uh, with the angels didn't get to pitch very much. Um, so didn't really get an opportunity to prove myself, which I totally understand. You know, I was a new pitching coach, new manager. So they had a lot of, they had to get their guys in there. Um, and then from there, I went to the alt site, um, you know, for a month of the minor league season got delayed. So it was at the alt site, pitched pretty well. And I went to Salt Lake, which is AAA for the angels and just struggled for like a month. Um, it's a tough place to pitch, um, like high altitude. Um, but I was, I was, not throwing well at all, just walking a lot of guys and struggling. And But luckily, um, throughout the whole free agency process, awesome agency, awesome agents, um, they, they worked in like opt-outs into my contract. And so I actually, I didn't get released by the Angels. I had an opt-out on uh, June 1st. And so it was just a messy start. Um, it wasn't, you know, quite the opportunity Um you know, I just, I just kind of needed a fresh start, you know, I felt like, and so with that opt out, we took it just kind of hoping there'd be some of the teams that were wanting me in the off season would still be there. And, and so the Dodgers called pretty quickly after we took that opt out and, and decided to, to sign there. Um, so drove from um, Salt Lake city to Oklahoma city, um, had a couple days to do that through a bullpen with, um, with uh you know the triple a team there and then was activated and, and ready to go so and then obviously it ended up being you know a great decision um i think you know one of the things i think that really benefited me is as soon as i got to the dodgers they were really um intent on like using me to my strengths you know so i was facing like primarily righties, you know, triple a, um, you know, which as a right-handed sidearm guy, like those are the guys that I'm going to be most effective against. So that was cool. I think that helped me. And, and, um, it was just a great environment. Like the, the Dodgers are the Dodgers, you know, I think it like 
people have heard a lot about it and they're obviously right there, you know, at the end of the season each and every year, but there's a reason for that, you know? And so getting to, getting to see like what goes on behind the scenes, especially in the minor leagues and, and the focus that goes into player development and um, just the attention to detail and the, and the people that they decide to hire and, and all of those things that um, not saying the angels or the twins or anybody else I've been with didn't have that, but um, there's just something to like a very successful work environment, but there's a lot of things going on behind the scenes that people don't see that, you know, you kind of get to see why a team like the Dodgers is there, you know, year in and year out at the end. But yeah, so was there for five weeks, triple um, A through really well. And then early July um, got called to Miami to be on the taxi squad, taxi squatted for like a day. And then I think it was July 6th, um, made my debut with the Dodgers. So well, when you got that call, you were, so you're with the actual team, the actual Dodgers, but you weren't obviously on the roster. What was that phone call like when you received it? Or did they call you in at the stadium? Yeah. So I was like, I got into Miami, um, and went into, uh, Dave Roberts office the day I got there and was just talking to him a little bit, getting to know him. Um, and then when I was leaving the room, he was like, Hey, uh, I think the plan is for you to taxi squad today and then be activated tomorrow. And I had no idea about that. I was just told I was going to taxi squad. So I was like, I didn't know that, you know? And he's like, well, nothing's set in stone. Um, you know, but we'll see what happens. So I got to the field the next day and then got called in, um, like right when I got there and right then I kind of knew that it was happening, you know? Um, but he didn't know it was my first time. So he kind of just nonchalantly said like, Hey, like we're going to activate you tonight. Be ready to go. And I was like, okay, I got to go make some calls. He's like, do what you got to do. So I start walking out and he's like, is, wait, is this your first time? And I was like, yeah. And then he gets up, you know, and hugs me and, you know, like kind of made it a bigger deal than it was, you know? Um, but so it was interesting. Um, and, and then unfor the unfortunate part about that is like my family's here in, in California. And so I got, you know, called up or I got told that day at like two o'clock and our game was at seven that night, you know, so my family, you know, couldn't make it from San Diego to, to Miami in time. So they missed the debut. Um, but I ended up starting like a bullpen day the next day. So they were able to make it out for that. But yeah, it was cool. I mean, like, getting to make that, you know, I, I took my phone and my headphones up into the stadium in Miami, um, called my wife, um, you know, which was really cool. She was in Japan at the time, the other side of the world, um, woke her up. It was like 3 a.m. I think where she was and, and then called my parents, my sister, you know, and some other people. And then pretty much had to like go get ready to, to get warmed up and stuff. So it was kind of a quick, deal but you know it was really cool to finally get to make those phone calls you know they've been waiting so long to make yeah that's a interesting debut a lot of guys the, their call-up story yeah they get a phone call and uh but no you, this this situation was a little bit different so it's pretty special but then after the dodgers were halfway there with with the teams that you were with last year you then uh the dfa you and then you move on to the rays and you were there for a few days right it was only a a few day period. Can you take me through that whole process of being picked up by the Rays and all of a sudden then moving on to the Mets following that? Yeah, it was a weird kind of couple weeks because I don't know, man, like I had just grinded for so long, you know, to get to the big leagues, got to the big leagues with like 
you know, a top three team, you know, in the league, top five team in the league, and then started pitching well. And I was like, I started to like feel like it was a great group of guys too. Like, like the team in LA was awesome. I'm sure Bessie will tell you that later too, but like a really cool group of guys that welcomed, you know, me in right away. And I was pitching well, you know, early on and felt like I was like contributing and, and, uh, and then I think like after like a Sunday game or right after the all-star break, I got optioned. Um, and then a couple of days after that I got DFA'd and I was just bummed, man. Like I was, it was like, I was so happy in LA, like either in AAA or in the big leagues, like it was just a really awesome place to be. Um, so I was, I was pretty upset about that. Just, just bummed, you know, I, I get it. It's the business side of things. I'm a right-handed sinker baller throwing, you know, 89, 90 miles an hour. So I get it. Um, but yeah, then, uh, so I'm in Oklahoma city. I waited out there. Um, my sister-in-law and her husband and my nephew live in Oklahoma city. Um, so I got to be there with my, with my, with them for a little while while I was in limbo. Um, and then my, my wife was, my wife played softball. She was in the Olympics last summer. So I got to watch, I, I got to watch every pitch. I didn't miss anything. So during this time, like time in limbo between teams, um, it was, it stunk obviously, but like it allowed me to like watch her play. So I was like with her, I was with my family getting to watch her play while I'm waiting to find out what happens um in oklahoma city so on, on a sunday um i go to i go to our church there in oklahoma city come out of the service and i'm like sitting in my car and i get a call from um somebody from the dodgers saying that i i had just gotten claimed by the race and i was like man i was just like so happy so relieved uh called my parents and then somebody from the race called me and told me that i was going to meet the AAA team in uh norfolk virginia so the next day, packed up all my stuff, flew to Norfolk. Um, same, same thing again. Like I hadn't pitched in a week, so I threw a bullpen, had a day off, threw for the the AAA team there in Norfolk, and then uh, it was the day it was the day of the trade deadline, and the Rays hadn't done anything yet. They hadn't made any trades. We go out and play catch. I think that like where we were, it was like the deadline was maybe like four o'clock or something. So it was like three thirty, and we go out to play catch come back in it's well past four o'clock and like we, nothing had happened you know so i was like all right and then uh, they must have made a trade like right at the deadline or something they traded for a pitcher um and then um, an outfielder and then like five minutes after we all saw that on twitter and stuff me and another guy got called in and then got dfa'd um and then that time i was like i'm just gonna go home for a few days you know whatever so i flew home to san diego um, and then while I was home in San Diego, a couple days, um, go by and then I get a text from Hefner, um, saying, Hey, like, I think we just claimed you. And then I got a call from somebody for the Mets saying that they did. So, and then I went from, went back to Miami, met the, met the team in, in Miami with the Mets. So it was just like the craziest two weeks ever. Right. Yeah, it's a, it must be a mental toll, though, as well, right? When you're in that situation, you're in limbo and not really sure what's going on. I mean, that could really take a toll on you. Yeah, and I mean, I think the nice thing was, like, it was nice to go home, you know, for a couple of days. And I think after I had gotten claimed by the Rays, I don't know, I, I, there was something in me that I was just like, well, if the Rays claimed me, if I got called up by the Dodgers, like those are two pretty good teams. I'm hoping that, you know, somebody takes a shot on me 
Um, and so there was, I guess there was some hope after that, that, you know, second DFA where I was like, all right, like, I, I think I might get claimed here. And, um, so, but yeah, it was tough. I think like, honestly, the toughest part of it all is like, I think one of the best things about baseball is like getting to be on a team, you know, getting to, getting to know a group of guys over, you know, the length of a season. Um, and so for me, it was like Salt Lake for a month and then the Dodgers for a month and a half, two months. And there was the Rays for four days. And then it was the Mets for two months, you know? So it was like, it was almost like your, your parents when they move all the time or something. And you're like, you're at one school and you start to get, you start to make friends and then you got to, you know, go to a new school and make new friends again. So um, that was challenging. I think just kind of like the, the lack of, um, you know, consistent team fellowship type of thing like that. That's, I think what I miss most during that, that whole season, you know. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get 150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Ann Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Only in theaters this Friday. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes film.com to get tickets now. Well, now it looks like there's some stability here in, with New York and the Mets, and uh, you finished the year there and currently on their 40-man roster. What can you tell me about the experience that you had finishing out the year in New York and the players that you were able to be a part of and, and play with? Yeah, it was a good two months, man. Like, um, you know, it was, it was nice. You know, I was up in the big leagues for a, a good chunk of it. I was hurt for a couple of weeks, but 
Um, I was up, which was great. Um, it was a really, really cool clubhouse, really good group of guys. Um, like a lot of big name guys that as a rookie, you, you might be kind of like walking on eggshells around and, and kind of nervous to meet maybe. But then once you meet these guys and get to know them, it just blows you away. Like the, the I don't know, just the kindness, I guess, the humility and, and a lot of these guys, like getting to meet some of your, I wouldn't, not necessarily heroes, but like, like stars of the game, you know, to see that they're, um, you know, welcoming, remembering your name, that sort of thing um, was, was really cool. Um, so I think there was, it was a great clubhouse. And I think if you look at the season the Mets had, especially the, the last couple of months, you may not have guessed that, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on and um, it's New York, you know, so everything's kind of under a microscope um, as it is, you know, but there was a lot of stuff going on. You know, I think a lot of people are trying to fight for their jobs and, um, you know, the booing the fans and all that stuff. There was just a lot going on in a very small chunk of time. Um, but I think throughout that, like it never, it never got um, to a point where I was like, man, I don't want to be here. or This isn't the right group of guys or whatever. That wasn't it. You know, um, I, I enjoyed my time there. The tough thing was that like, when I got to the Mets, it was, um, I think at the very beginning of August. At that point, the Met, we were four or five games up still in the division. And by the time the season ended, I mean, we were, I don't know, eight, nine, ten games out of it. You know, so we had a really rough August and not much better of a, um, of a September. So it was just a rough, rough finish to the year, uh, I think. Um, and, and it wasn't, it didn't have anything to do. I don't think with, with all the outside stuff that was going on, we were just struggling, you know, there's going to be times I think in people's careers for whatever reason, and things aren't clicking, you know? And, and so, um, you know, if it wasn't pitching one night, it was, it was, you know, offensively and if it wasn't offensive. We were letting the, the, you know, those guys down by, by our pitching or whatever. Um, but yeah, it was just, it was just a tough kind of couple months, you know, that's baseball. But it was a great, great group of guys, great coaching staff. Uh, I had I had an awesome time there. And, and just getting to be in New York, you know, to wear a Mets uniform, um, getting to be around, you know, during 9-11 uh, for that whole deal. Like, it was a, a special thing. You know, I feel very, like, lucky and blessed to be able to wear, like, a Dodger uniform and to wear a Mets uniform. Like, just a really cool thing. After lockout ends, uh, you'll be playing for Buck Showalter, somebody who's well-respected around the game. What can you tell me about uh, your excitement about playing for somebody like him and what you're looking to learn from him? I'm super excited. Um, like when I was with Minnesota, we, we, we um, had Molitor. Um, Garden Hire was there for just one year. Um, but just having somebody who's been around the game for, you know, as long as, as a guy like that has, um, you know, as long as Buck's been around and, and all the success he's had with, with teams. Um, it, it's really cool to me that those guys are getting back into these roles, you know, for, for a couple years there, it was like, um, and not that this is bad at all, but like, it was like hiring young people, hiring young men who have, uh, you know, um, not a ton of experience, I guess, in, in managing, you know, and 
let alone managing at the big league level. But then you saw last year with the teams left in the playoffs, like who the managers were, you know, I thought it was awesome that Dusty was there, um, you know, with the Astros and um, La Russa, you know, with the, with the White Sox, I think people were kind of early on. They were like, Whoa, like these old school minds with these kind of new school game, like how is this going to work? But it worked, you know? And so I think it will be a, a really great combination of, of young talent um, in the clubhouse um, a very exciting team with with just one of the best baseball minds that we've ever seen in Buck and and just the leadership and experience that he's gonna gonna bring to to New York I think is gonna be much appreciated you know by everybody so I'm just I'm super excited I thought they couldn't have done a better job with with um, you know their hire and and I mean I love Louie you know Rojas was a great man awesome manager you know I think it was just a tough year. You know, I think it was just one of those things where it was like just kind of a tough situation, but I, I love him and, and I'm excited for, for what's to come with Buck. Yeah. Well, speaking of your time with the Mets, there was also uh, one situation that you were in that stood out to me and that was the 12 inning game that you closed out. Uh, what can you tell me about that game and uh, the emotions following it once it was finally over? Yeah, we were, um, we were in San Fran, uh, it was just one of those games too, where um, I think guy like guy after guy is going into the game, and the game just keeps going, and you kind of just like keep looking down, you know, to the left and right, and seeing the bullpen kind of thinning out. It's like if this thing goes too much further, like I'm going to be coming into this game, and I knew, um, you know, one of the guys down there with me was down that day, and there was one guy left, Trevor Williams, who was a starter for most of the year and was kind of our long guy. I was like, man, like I might get into this game. And so we finish. Um, I can't remember who threw before me, but finish the inning and then phone rings and it's like reads in. And I was like, at that point, it was still tied. You know, it's like, my gosh, this is crazy, you know. And um, and so uh, we I think we scored four, you know, so I went out there with a four run lead runner on second base, obviously, in the extra inning rule. But. Posey, you know, faced Posey the first at bat and ended up having to get at bat off him, struck him out, got a fly out. Um, and then the game had gotten so long, they ran out, the Giants ran out of position players to, to, to hit for their pitcher. So the last guy I faced was I'm looking on the on deck circle, expecting like somebody to come off the bench and pinch hit. It was their, it was the relief pitcher that who knows, I had no idea if he's ever had any at bats in his life. So I was happy about seeing that in the on-deck circle, you know, so he gets up there and I think fouls a couple off and then end up striking him out with a slider. But I don't know, to me, like as a pitcher, I don't care what the score is, like getting the last out of a baseball game is like, that's just the best feeling, you know, so getting to do that in a big league stadium, um, you know, against, you know, the Giants and stuff. And just, it was, I was still pretty new to the Mets. So that was a big win for us at that time of the season too. So it was just cool that uh, I felt, you know, trusted in that situation to get in there and, and close that game out. Awesome. Well, before we wrap up, I'd like to get some advice for the younger players out there. Uh, I, I mean, a lot of kids, they're always being coached to throw a certain way. And I feel like you're a good example of somebody who, doesn't throw the orthodox way. What would you say to younger players who may feel comfortable throwing maybe from the side or uh, different from what most people are used to? 
Yeah, I've always thrown, I was always like a low three-quarter guy. Um, like even when I would play infield, I would always, you know, throw it over kind of sidearm. And that's just how I threw it. And it always interests me too, like when you see um, pictures of a lot of these big league pitchers, like how they look now compared to how they look when they were, you know, 12 years old or something, it looks like very similar. So I think to me that tells me a lot that like there, there is sort of this like, um, way that our bodies work and move as far as being pitchers that is something to kind of um, I think look into you know and not be afraid of and think that you have to be a robot or or there's these cookie cutter mechanics out there that is going to um, you know if you throw this way then this is going to happen you're going to get to the big leagues or if you throw this way you're going to have Tommy John you know it's just not true you know so I think just figuring out what that is and being confident in, in what you do well. I think that to me is like the biggest thing that like, you got to start figuring that out at a, at a pretty young age of like, I throw like this, this is what I'm good at doing. Um, I'm going to figure those things out and I'm going to do those things a lot. You know, I think that's one thing I've learned the last couple of years is that like this game is a lot more simple than we make it. It's not, it's not easy, but it's simple in the fact of like, know what you do well and do that a lot, you know? So whether it's a certain pitch to a certain location, you know, you don't have to try and do all these different things. Like if you can execute what you're, what you're proficient and what you, what you do well consistently, then you're going to have success in this game. I think so. I guess that would be my advice is to not, not be afraid or not think that you have to be, you know, a robot or, cookie cutter mechanics that everybody throws differently, you know, and there are obviously things that we can work at to improve, you know, our efficiency and velocity and those sort of things, but everybody throws differently. And I think it's, I think it's cool. You know? Awesome. It's definitely going to help out a lot of kids out there. And uh, the last thing before we wrap up, you mentioned before your wife is also an athlete, a softball player was in the Olympics, won a medal. Uh, what kind of experience is it to have another person in your family who's also an athlete and competing at a high level like yourself? It's been great because I think we, you know, we understand each other's lifestyles, you know, like she understands, um, you know, especially she's an outfielder as a hitter. She understands just the failure in this game, you know, and, and the emotions and, and everything that comes along with that. So, um, I think to have somebody in your corner that that really gets it and not to say that, you know, women and wives who, who don't play sports don't understand, but um, to have somebody who who like really, really gets it at that level is is a pretty cool thing. And then uh, it just it, it was a joy, man, like she's she's done now. But like we train together every off season. you know, her her, um, you know, her season kind of lined up with mine. So when we're home in the fall and winter we're lifting at the same gym, you know, with the same trainer. And so you're just like to get to hang out with your best friend and train with your best friend and your wife, like to get to do that is a, is a pretty special thing. And then, um, you know, obviously to kind of just to get to watch her last summer, you know, and, and do her thing at the highest level, um, you know, was, was pretty special. And, and the fact that it was like, you know, I was making my debut when she was about to start playing playing in the Olympics. Like it was just the coolest thing ever. Um, obviously, it would, it would be great to be there, you know, for each other. But I think we were just so prepared for, um, you know, kind of what last year, um, you know, brought uh, just because of our like we've done long distance and stuff for our whole careers, you know. So um, it was just really cool for all of it to happen and for her to be able to go through that with me and me to be able to go through it with her. 
um, awesome teammates, you know, like her teammates were very supportive. My teammates were very supportive through the whole thing. So it was, it's, it was a special career, really impressive career for her. Um, I'm just proud and lucky to, to call her my wife. And being two competitors, it must get pretty competitive too sometimes, right? You want to watch a TV show, someone's, she's not going to like you, right? TV show, cards, any, you name it, it gets competitive. So, Love it, man. Well, I appreciate you hopping on. Uh, best of luck this season with the Mets. Hopefully things clear up soon and get to watch some baseball again. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me. All right, we'll see you guys next time. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Anne Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Only in theaters this Friday. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes Film.com to get tickets now. You deserve to treat yourself, so turn your tax refund into a U-Fund and give yourself a Straight Talk Wireless Extended Silver Unlimited plan and get a new Samsung Galaxy A14 on them. You can get a great everyday value on wireless with Straight Talk's Unlimited plan starting at $25 a line per month for four lines. You'll save so much, you'll be enjoying that refund all year long. It's the refund that keeps on refunding. Find Straight Talk at straighttalk.com or at your local Walmart store. Taxes and fees not included. Offer valid through 41424 while supplies last. Online only. Must purchase a Straight Talk Extended Silver Unlimited plan to qualify. Limit of five phones per customer. Family plan discount with four lines, all on the Silver Unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount.